Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being here, listening to the show today. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time as we talk about different lessons that people learn along their journey to entrepreneurship and, and the way they attract clients and keep growing their business. My focus is attracting clients now, ways that you can grow your business without spending a ton of market money on marketing or advertising. I coach my clients to do that with a goal of finding ten dollars to $50,000 immediately in your business that you're not taking advantage of. For those of you listening, I always like to give away my book. So if you go to freebookfromadam.com, you could download a copy of the book. It's eight strategies to grow your business immediately. Really easy to follow step by step. And I also want to thank uh, our sponsor, powertexting.com. Powertexting.com is a great way to stay in touch with prospects and clients through their smartphone. Quick and easy messages. They're great at what they do. And as a thank you to all of you for listening, they give away a trip um, either to Orlando, Las Vegas, or Cancun. More about that a little bit later in the show. But keep listening and register to win a free trip. So I want to get started. I'm really excited for my guest today because it's the perfect story of what we talk about here. And it's really that journey from having a good career, a successful career with great opportunity, but transforming into owning your own business and being an entrepreneur. Today's guest is an industry expert in marketing campaign automation, customer journey execution, and CRM solutions. She and her award-winning team have supported the operations and marketing engagement side for companies BMW, Rolls-Royce Motor Care, Ferrari North America, and others. Please welcome with me, Esther Polson. Esther, thank you for being here today. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well. Thank you for being here and helping um, other entrepreneurs learn from your lessons and the things that you're doing in business so uh, they don't necessarily have to step on the landmines that you and I have in our past. And <laughs> as we get started, I always ask, you know, how did it come about? How did you become an entrepreneur? Some people are born with it, you know, picking up rocks and dog poop and delivering papers and whatever jobs we had as little kids. Others, it, it comes later in life. Tell us about your journey. Um, sure. Uh, so I, uh, I was born and raised in, uh, in, in South Philadelphia, which is a, a pretty, uh, pretty tough uh, immigrant neighborhood uh, in the 70s and the 60s, 70s and, uh, and early 80s. And, you know, as a kid, it, if you wanted anything, you really had to, you really had to hustle. And and that was just a it's a family trade it's a uh, it's a and it's a, just something that was um, that was we were born and, and raised with so as kids you know we we we, we ran uh, carnivals we we actually got into a little bit of trouble for running a little bit of a gambling house in uh, in the city until uh, until a kid lost some money and called the cops on us uh, but uh, but we always learned that if we wanted anything. Um, that you that you really had to uh, you really had to hustle. Um, my parents were were super hard workers, um, and we have a family story 
where uh, my father was, was born in uh, World War II, and uh, his father passed away when he was only a few months old. And uh, my grandmother had five children to feed, so every summer at the end of the last day of the school year after that, she bundled everybody into a truck, sent them out to South Jersey to pick strawberries. So, uh, so theoretically, just basically one generation back, we were, we were migrant workers working, uh, working in fields and, and picking strawberries and learning how to work really All of us grew up with that ethic. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was a teenager, my parents uh, moved us out of the city, and I, uh, I spent life in suburbia. And, and I was just interested in everything. So I was part of the very first computer club that was started in our, in our junior high school. I was active in that. I was kind of that Rushmore kid. I was involved in every club. I was involved in band and jazz band and the drum, and drum line and the Scholars Bowl and the Key Club and the Honor Society. And I was just, I, I just, I kept piling on more and more things to do uh, as well as my, uh, as well as my schoolwork. So uh, so by the time I got to college, uh, you know, I was I was I had to hustle. My <clears throat> my father had gotten sick when I was a senior in high school, so it was very very clear that uh, that I was uh, I was going to have to pay my way um, for my college education. So I was very fortunate to have earned a, a, a very healthy full ride scholarship to a state school. Uh, and the lesson learned there is that, you know, I went to uh, two state schools, Millersville State in Pennsylvania and Temple University, where I finished. Um, you do not need to go and spend massive amounts of money on, uh, on, on college, on going to a, a, a first-year college or a, a theoretical first-year college. You can, you can get an excellent education at state schools, especially if, for pragmatic reasons, you just don't see yourself getting into six figures of debt. Um, many schools have phenomenal honor programs and enhancement programs and take advantage of them. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to do so uh, and did and graduated with, uh, with a relatively, you know, just a few thousand dollars in debt. Um, but I worked my way uh, through, through college. I, I held down several jobs and almost all of my jobs were office-based. So I learned to type uh, pretty well, r relatively young, so that got me into office jobs pretty quick. So I learned office operations, and I learned how businesses worked just kind of sitting there on notice in, uh, in companies like Prudential and a couple of insurance companies and, uh, and, and really just got to, to see how things worked on, on the side. And interestingly enough, I graduated with a degree in communication and in film. I, I wanted to be a film editor, but... Um, but the office information was always fascinating to me, and the computers were fascinating to me. So I get out of school, and <clears throat> it's a recession uh, at the time in the early 90s. So I had to be pragmatic about what my options were for, uh, for getting a job. So ended up starting in a, as a sales assistant at a brokerage house in, uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And again, I learned, uh, I started reading books, and I learned how to build a database um, on my own, just taught myself. Uh, and they used it to manage leads, and so it was just a an interesting view into how uh, how lead management worked in a in an office environment, and then how data worked. So when I uh, met my husband and married and came to New Jersey, I started. I, I was not finding any jobs as a film editor, and again, I had to be pragmatic about my options. So went and got a job at a help desk at, at a law firm in New Jersey, and worked my way to manage it and learned a lot about networking, learned about a lot about 
um, database systems, content management, and uh, one day a person who worked with me at the firm had, had uh, gone to Lucent Technologies, called me up and said, hey, there's a job here for a developer. Want to try out? And I'm like, I don't know anything about software development. He said, ah, just, just, just give it a roll. You seem to pick up stuff pretty quick. So I did. I, um, I, I went and did an interview, you know, very, very long extended interview with a pretty demanding team, uh, won the job, and then from there learned development and then eventually went into to enterprise architecture. I was one of the only women on the enterprise architecture team in, uh, in, in Lucent Technologies, which is a, at the time was a was very, very large and uh, very big, big business. And then, um, and then really just... Uh, just learned one thing after another over those over those years. When um, when the, the the dot com crash happened in the early 2000s, it became really obvious that corporate America was going to be uh, a lot less stable than they would have been in my parents' generation. So, an opportunity opened up to be a consultant for uh, at the time it was BMW North America, and I said, well, this might be a this might be a good idea. <laughs> To, to take a shot at being a being a consultant and working on my own, um, it, I, I went ahead and, uh, and and made the jump. So I was just an independent, just me, uh, for a number of uh, for a number of years, about ten years. And it's scary when you when you go and you start on your own because you know there's no insurance, there's no disability, there's no unemployment, there's nothing. You you and so it makes you smart. To, to kind of work without a net, to, to you're constantly thinking of, uh, first of all, making sure that your clients are happy, but also making sure that you're making in somewhat reasonably intelligent decisions about how you're you're running the business and managing costs and managing time. And, uh, and again, I, it's one of those things that working without that net, as scary as it is, um, does make you grow eyes in the back of your head and on your ears and on your fingers and just you're thinking all the time and you're constantly keeping an eye and keeping vigil on how things are working and looking out for new opportunity. Interesting. So, and I, I appreciate the, the, the background because you gave so much there that from, from the time that you started, one, one, the hustling, and two, just always keeping your eyes open for the next skill, the next opportunity. Yep. In, in the entrepreneurial world, one, once you have your own business, it becomes more about um, being able to get new clients and, and, and sell, but you need all of those background skills because all of those background skills is how you can provide value, value to your client. As you were going through that process, how did you – I guess identify those opportunities to build another skill and, and understand that those would be valuable down the road. You know what? It's just it's a matter of listening. It really is. You know, sometimes you'll sit in a, in a room and you'll listen to somebody, you know, talk about a, a problem that they have. And you just sit there and you think about it and say, well, okay, what do I know or what do I need to know to, to help support them? One of the things that I learned – when I was young, another job that I had for a very brief time was working as a disc jockey in a small, uh, in a small suburban radio station. And one of the things that I learned there, which I've taken through my entire career, is that if you are easy to work with um, and you are, you know, basically low drama and, and, and low maintenance, that you get invited to a lot of projects. So <laughs> from listening to people and saying, hey, 
you know, even if I don't necessarily have all the answers, um, it's a little bit of fake until you make it and a little bit of just listening and paying attention to what people have to teach you. Um, and then being, again, easy to work with, um, I got invited to a lot of projects in, in, as, a, as a disc jockey and as a, a radio broadcaster, and then that's carried pretty much my entire career. So if I'm not entirely sure, there are resources to go get those answers, or you just ask. Um, I find that just being a reliable source, even to just bounce ideas off of, gets you invited to a lot of projects and gets you invited to the, we, we, we say getting, in, you know, getting invited to the good parties, and by party we mean projects and, and work. Um, by being easy to work with and ethical and no drama and smart, um, all of those things, um, by paying attention to what people are saying and transforming that into I say, hey, you know, maybe I can help you out with, uh, with that project or maybe I can do a little bit of legwork and a little research. Um, and then that gets you, first of all, a little bit of leeway to, to learn and then, and then gets you that trust that gets you uh, to have them coming to you to say, you know what, I've got this problem. Why don't you, uh, why don't you come over and help? Now, conversely, it's important when you do that to make sure that you don't lessen your work by doing free work for people. Um, it's a matter of saying, look, this is what I can offer you, and this is what it's worth to you to do that work and expect to be compensated for it. It seems scary to say that at first, but it does work if you're confident in your ability to get the job done. And it's great that you say that because it's one thing to, to be confident in your ability and to be able to deliver, but it's, it's quite another to to be open and to see what other people need. So you can have the greatest services in the world, but if they're not filling a need for the other person, they don't need to hire you. It sounds like you've been able to identify needs that others have where your skill set comes in. Is that something you consciously are always looking for and listening for? Yes. The running joke in, in Rare, in, in my company, Rare Solutions, is that um, we always have, whenever we hear about a need with a client, we, we, wrote, we open up a new emporium. So as an example, um, there was a, a project that had opened up and somebody needed some concierge uh, or, or phone services. So I said, oh, I said, did I just tell you that we just opened up the Rare Solutions Concierge Services Emporium? So, and that's the running joke with my clients. They know, they said, oh, you know, Esther, are you going to have an emporium for this? Because it's always a, um, it, 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 I'm always, you know, looking at and listening and saying, okay, if you need something, we can go and build a, build a sub-business or a practice around it. Um, but again, I cannot emphasize this enough. You just have to listen. That's so interesting. So not only do you listen, but you've created a model within your firm that when you hear something, you instantly know to offer it. Um, one, one of the big things that, that I work on when, I, when I'm working with my clients is not only getting more leads and, and getting more clients, getting them to do business with you, but having people that you can work with and sell to over and over again and creating additional products. And it sounds like you've built that into the culture of the business. How have you trained others in addition to yourself to listen the same way and to identify those opportunities? You know, I, I, I have, I'm extremely fortunate to have extraordinary, uh, extraordinary professionals that work for me at Rare. And, and I've been very lucky that many of the employees that have come to me have come from referrals from other employees. And part of it is 
um, is constantly talking to people and then also using humor. Like the Emporium model is a joke, is a running joke, not only with our clients but with our, our team members to the point where they'll even volunteer an Emporium uh, if they hear about an opportunity. And by using some humor and then using some uh, – and, and, and then trusting everybody on the team to, uh, to work together to build the business, uh, I think that that helps to evangelize what I'm trying to accomplish, which is we have rare solutions. We started off, um, I started off as a private consultant, then I launched a, a second version of the company with three employees, and all we were doing was marketing automation. And then over the years, we've built it into CRM consulting, uh, process, auto, process automation, uh, customer journey design. We've become an email marketing agency. As over the years, we've added more and more capabilities because we're listening to what our customers are asking for. And if we see something that is an intersection to what we already know how to do, we go aggressively after that to say, okay, we can do this for you, and this is why, and this is how, and acquire the knowledge if we need it, um, and train people when we when we. When we don't have, uh, when we don't have it, uh, we have a tremendously passionate team, and they truly care about the business um, and caring care about growing it. So I think together we all, um, we we're all we all trust each other to have those discussions, and we trust each other to to grow as a as a group. And as you continue to to grow as a team and become more cohesive, and also continue to do more and more for your client base that you have, as well as new clients that you bring on. How do you stop from taking your eye off the ball on the key things that you do and, and not go down too many, so to speak, rabbit holes that um, can, can take the business in a different direction or get you away from your core competencies? That is a great question, and the answer is partnerships. So one of the things that we found <clears throat> as, we were, as, as we were growing the business and as we were asked or we identified opportunities, we went out to companies that we had met or had done business with through, through other clients over the years and, uh, and built strategic alliances and built partnerships with them to help supplement our capabilities. I'll give you a very good example. Uh, I was invited to an RFP for Ferrari North America, and the RFP was not only for email automation services, operational services, but it was also for creative design services. Now, I don't have a creative one in my body. I can barely draw a stick figure. Um, we, uh, people that we have are they're, they're, they're data artists and they're, they're technicians, but, um, but we're not really a creative agency. But there was an agency, uh, the, S3, uh, the S3 agency, that we've done business with with one of our other clients. And so I called up the owner and I said, hey, got this opportunity. You want to come in, you know, come in with us, and you'll function as the creative agency. We'll, oper we'll operate as the, autom as, the uh, as the operational agency. We'll be the prime, uh, we'll be the prime account uh, or the prime vendor. And they said, sure. So we went in together, um, worked very, very hard, and won this uh, this this really fabulous account. So we look at our partnerships, and we have a number of companies that we partner with that way that we use to then extend our capabilities without going too far down the rabbit hole or too far out of our depth, um, but still provide amazing, outstanding services. So the partnerships, I think, are really, really key for a small business to expand larger and be a, uh, be a, a whole that's more than the sum of its parts. 
I, I love that for, for two reasons. One, it's a great way to continue to grow, to grow scale and scope without having to take everything on yourself. And number two, um, as I said, I've got my book at freebookfromadam.com, and that's an entire chapter, is when you find a need of your clients, bring somebody else in to do the work rather than doing the work yourself. So you're able to find partnerships, find people that you know, that maybe when you meet them, you don't know how you're going to work together, but you like each other, but then the opportunity presents itself, and rather than being competitive, be collaborative. Yes, exactly. And there are some vendors that we compete, you know, we do compete, but there's, uh, I, I always say there's money to be made by all. Um, and, and again, you know, when you're, if you're smart about it and you're ethical and you're easy to work with, and that goes both ways, um, it, it creates these really unbeatable service offerings that, uh, that allow us to compete on a level that maybe we wouldn't necessarily compete. I mean, our, my clients are, you know, very large, lot of luxury auto. They're very demanding. Uh, they expect the best of the best. Um, and we're able to provide that at a level that maybe some of the bigger box, uh, you know, agencies and, and, um, and automation companies don't necessarily have the nimbleness to provide. So uh, by using the partnerships, by trusting your team members, and, and also being a little fearless, you know, the, it, it's daunting. When, when I first started the, the BM, you know, uh, working at BMW North America as, a, as an independent vendor, I didn't have any net, and I was responsible for a lot of things that, and, and I'm responsible for learning a lot of things. Uh, I, I had to, you know, swallow a little bit of trepidation um, and fear of, you know, failure and say, I can do this, and, and we can do this. I trust my team. I trust my professionals. I trust my partnerships, um, and I trust myself that, uh, that this, is, this is possible, and it has worked out exceptionally well. Um, to take that mindset and apply that to everything. You cannot be afraid to, uh, to reach out, take a risk, um, to no matter what you think people are going to think of you or whether you think you can't, can or can't do this, you cannot let that fear hold you back from taking the shot. The worst thing that can happen is that it doesn't work out, and then you go do something else. That, that it's, you can't be afraid. Yes, yeah, so, so that fear, and, and it's a really interesting point, a really interesting direction that, that I want to dig into here for a quick second. So many uh, sole practitioners, sole small businesses look at themselves and identify their clients as someone the same size, the same skill level uh, as they are, and, and they never take that big leap. And you've been, and most of your has working with these huge worldwide organizations, how does a sole practitioner or, or sole business get in with these really large companies where they may not even know there's an opportunity there? How, how does that work and how does that look when, when you're going to a new company or even internally when you're talking to your team about working with these large organizations? How does the small business fit in? You know what? It's all about networking. So when I went to BMW, I was an independent consultant for about 10 years. And then I, I got bored with the job. I left. Um, I, I left. I took a stint at uh, Jaguar Land Rover for a while. And then they called me about a year later. 
and said, hey, we'd like you to come back, but you'd need to participate in a, in a proposal process. And I said, okay, I'm not sure exactly what you need me to do, but, uh, but we can do it. So <clears throat> that's how I, I got back in as a, as a vendor, because they knew me from being an independent consultant. For almost every other client that I've picked up over the last years, it was all because someone knew me from, uh, from other consulting work that I had done. So someone called me up and said, as an example, I have a, a, a great luxury travel client, and someone that I knew at Jaguar had gone over there, called me up and said, hey, we're working on a digital transformation project. What do you know about it? And I said, well, let's, let's come in and, and have a conversation, and that's how I picked them up as a client. Um, as I was growing at BMW, I needed some assistance, so I hired somebody. Um, I hired a, a person who worked at Ferrari, and that's how I heard about the um, the RFP there, um, and so a lot of it is just referrals and getting known in the industry, knowing, uh, getting to, uh, and also just being, again, easy to work with, low drama, you know, and, and a professional in, in everything that, that gets done, and and then I've had employees refer me to uh, to clients for additional uh, for additional work. So it really, really is a referral network. You can't necessarily, or maybe you can, walk into a, a company and say, "Hey, here I am. Uh, I'm a um, I'm a certified women-owned business." Um, and so I go to quite a lot of networking um, events where there are opportunities to meet with um, supplier diversity suppliers, and it is challenging to break into that. Uh, because they don't get to know you, but I noticed over time by going to events and going and networking and networking and networking, and they're getting to know you better, and that's where the opportunities really crop up. You have to just show up. You have to just be there, be there in the moment, be someone that they can call on, um, leverage. I, I belong to the women's leverage that network as well. Um, it's, it's really tirelessly going and talking to people and investing the time in others, and eventually that results in someone investing the time in you. It's, it's so cool doing these interviews and, and meeting folks like yourselves that have, that have done a number of diverse things, because you never know what they're going to say that, that can be a great lesson for the, for the listeners and subscribers out there. You just mentioned that one of the things that you've done is you're a certified woman-owned business. And, and every state, my wife actually used to certify minority and women-owned businesses. Uh, so they could get different state contracts. And for all the, the, the women and, and minority business owners out there, every state has a certification program. And, and you did it. How did you find it? And what was the process and what's the value been of sure. being certified and having access to things that other businesses may not, or at least a, a slight crack in the door that you, can, that you can get into by utilizing that certification? I had no idea that this that the certifications existed. No idea. And I had worked at BMW for several years, and there was a, a vendor that we that we worked with that uh, I knew the president fairly well, and we were having a conversation, and she knew I owned my business, and she's like, "How come you're not certified?" I said, "Certified for what?" And she explained the the uh, the WeBank certification. And so I looked into it. I ended up going to a couple of meetings, and I'm like, you know what? This is actually a really great opportunity to network with other female executives. And, you know, some of the women who are WeBank certified, I mean, they run 
billion-dollar businesses, some of them. Uh, I mean, multi-million-dollar businesses, and they're you know they're fairly they're fairly large. And I've grown quite a bit over the last several years, so I'm kind of you know this isn't a tiny you know tiny little operation anymore. And I learned that there are so many resources that you can you can speak to and work with that are good for someone who feels a little bit isolated by just being, you know, the business owner and responsible for everything and being able to talk to uh, other like-minded executives and professionals who are in the same boat that you are. Um, so that was really alluring to me. And I said, well, all right, I've got to have, you know, I've got to have, uh, got to get into this. So uh, the process was, uh, I, you mentioned a, um, a company to help with certification. Cannot emphasize enough that that was, is invaluable if you're trying to run your own business because the paperwork can be pretty arduous. I mean, they, they do check everything about who you are as a business, making sure that you truly do uh, are a prime uh, majority owner. And, uh, and, and so getting a, a company, um, I used a, a company called Certify My Company, and they were great. Um, and, and there are a number of outfits that do similar certifications. They are always, um, they really are a time saver. And the money that you spend to get to, to have them help is, is huge if you're trying to run a company. So the process took uh, several months. Um, and there's a lot of interviews and a lot of, like I said, a lot of paperwork. But ultimately, that gets you access to diversity supplier um, uh, organizations in very, very large businesses, in pharmaceutical and automotive and retail. And, and um, you get to, and again, you get these opportunities to go to events. There's a, uh, there are events several times a year for WeBank. There are several events for uh, Women Presidents uh, Organization. They all add up to the opportunity not only to network with the large these large enterprises, but also to network with other Weebies, which are women business enterprises. Um, Weebies, being able to do business with other Weebies is really, um, is really valuable as well. So having that network and having that support system of people to do business with um, to buy and sell services, not only at the corporate level, but also at the Weebie, at the Weebie level, is, is really, really valuable. So I've done um, a lot of business in the, in the high uh, five figures uh, with numbers of, of Weebies and as well as access to, uh, to some of the corporates. So, but the corporate, the corporate processes can take very, very long periods of time. So having opportunities to work with other Weebies is, uh, is another way to, really great way to supplement your income and get additional engagements um, while you're working on the big contracts. That's a great nugget. So for all of you listening out there that uh, women and minority-owned businesses definitely look into certification because of the opportunity it can create and the doors that it can open. We're talking today on, on this episode with Esther Polson uh, from Rare Solutions, R-A-A-R-E, uh, on Twitter, at Rare, double A-R-E. Uh, and once again, we're, we're the show sponsored by powertexting.com. And as I said earlier, that uh, every episode we give away a free trip to Orlando, Cancun, or Las Vegas. So if you want to get on the, in on the drawing, and it's a, um, a great four-night stay at a five-star resort, just text MBA to 480-544-7555, and I will put you into the drawing, and someone who's listening to this episode will win that trip, which is pretty exciting. It's pretty cool. I've, I've been on some myself. 
So um, I can vouch for them. And I, I want to come back before we wrap up to think about one more piece of, of your career, one more piece of your business that, that I think everyone can benefit from. And that's the transition from consultant to small but, but big small business owner. You were doing everything yourself and you had an employee that you brought in. You've worked with other partners, but now you've got an organization. And what's, what was that transition like to now, rather than doing the work and, and being the consultant, to running a business and having people do most of the work while you um, oversee, while you do business development, and while you handle some of those larger relationships? You know what? It, is, uh, it was a very, very difficult transition for me to let go of taking care of everything because I was used to taking care of everything. I, and, and it was a, it, I had to really fundamentally adjust my mindset to say I did not need to be in control of everything. And, and sometimes I don't know whether it's just me personally or, or, or confidence in, in running an organization that if you don't do everything yourself that you're not going to succeed. And that's just not, it's not reality and it's not practical. So I learned to hire very, I always hired very experienced people um, to, to work for me. And then over the years, I've learned to bring in some, uh, some college graduates. But I learned to trust the people that I hire to do the job as I expect them to do, but also to let them add some of their flair. Uh, I knew it was never, there was never going to be a, a series of Esther Polson clones running the business, and nor should it be. Um, everybody that I hire has brought in experience from other places and, and other professionally, the culturally. Uh, we have a very diverse team, um, and I value that, that perspective in finding new and creative ways to handle challenges from businesses uh, that, that are posed by our clients. So it's very, very I, – I, it, was, it was difficult to let go, and it was difficult to see the first what I would consider to be maybe – things I would not necessarily have done, done myself, um, and yet see them still work out. Um, it's, it's hard to, to let go of you know, the way you're used to doing things and letting other people do um, solve their problems in their own way, uh, but it is very rewarding because it does free me up to go and do the business building, to go after contracts, and then also be that you know, kind of the, the, the buck stops here when things do have to escalate um, to have the bandwidth and the energy to make sure that our clients are always delighted in what we do. It is difficult to let go, but it is absolutely critical to grow a business intelligently. For that, one, one of my favorite quotes is, the best way to find out if you can trust someone is to trust them. It's an Ernest Hemingway quote. It's probably the hardest thing to do, but if you trust people, more often than not, they'll prove you right than prove you wrong. So I appreciate, I appreciate you being here and taking the time to, just to tell your story, to give some great lessons, some great nuggets that you learned along the way that people can implement in their business. Any final thoughts for the business owner or aspiring business owner that you can give? You know what? It, it's, it, it, when you approach starting a business and you look at everything that's ahead of you, uh, again, I, I tell this to women all the time. It doesn't matter if you're 
you know, it doesn't matter if you're short or it doesn't matter if you, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a twig, you know, I'm certainly no model. Um, and, and, you, and I've learned that by having absolute confidence in your ability and your professional capabilities and your spirit of um, desire to, to really excel personally, uh, that you can really, you, it may not always work out the way that you expect, um, but there is absolutely no reason why you, you can't take the shot. Don't be afraid. Don't, be, uh, don't feel that someone's going to judge you. Don't feel that somebody is going to tell you that you can't do it. They might, but just ignore them. It, it just All I can say is be not afraid. This, uh, this is a tough, you know, challenging life, but it is incredibly rewarding. And even, you know, no matter how many years you end up doing it, you will always look back on these years and find them to be the favorite of your life. Fantastic. Appreciate that. Thank you, Esther Polson, for being here today. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Uh, stay tuned for the next one coming out shortly. And it's great to have people who will give their time and their expertise and their mentorship to shows like mine where everyone can learn. Thanks, Esther. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to The Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.